Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you today about the freedom of obedience. The freedom of obedience. I know some have listened to a little bit of this series in the past. You go, why does he always go there on obedience? We've covered ambition. We've covered ethics. We've covered integrity. We've covered obedience. We've covered back to ambition, back to obedience. Um, but I want to share with you today, perhaps a little bit different way of looking at it, about the, the freedom of obedience, the freedom that you experience when you obey the Lord, and the joy that comes from obedience, the joy that gives new strength. And we're going to look at that scripture a little bit differently today about it's the joy of the Lord that brings strength. But I want to specifically talk about the, it's the freedom to obey. It's the freedom as a result of obeying God. And just as important, the freedom during the process of obedience. When you're actually obeying God, what's the freedom that you experience as a result of that? See, just to set the table real quick, obedience or disobedience is nothing more than the reaction that we give to a specific instruction. If you've been instructed to do something, you either obey it or you disobey it. Both of them are action, an action or inaction. But you're going you're gonna to do something as a result of an instruction, a specific instruction. So if you would, please turn to the book of Isaiah. And it may be to some of you a familiar passage of scripture, the first, verse, first chapter, verse 18. Isaiah which is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, the first chapter, verse 18, and we're going to read 18 and 19. This is the Lord talking. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red, like, red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I want to cover with you quickly a couple of, of definitions. One is a, a unilateral contract. And I've talked to some of my legal friends during the week just to clarify, you know, what's, what is a unilateral contract? A unilateral contract or a one-sided contract is, is a, an individual who promises to do something in exchange for the other party following their agreement. So they're saying that if you will obey this certain set of issues that I lay out, if you do that, then in return, I will do the following. That's a unilateral contract. A bilateral contract is where both parties mutually agree to something. Now, to be honest with you, the first time I ever heard a bilateral agreement was back in one of the, the administrations, I think it was President Ronald Reagan, we were talking about the bilateral agreement between the U.S. and Russia to denuclearize, to, to lower their number of weapons. And I, it, when I heard the term, it was a bilateral agreement. Both sides agreed to do the same thing. It was a mutual promise. But a unilateral agreement is not that. 
So to give it a little bit of context, a unilateral agreement is like an employment agreement if you have with your boss. Your boss says, if you do a certain number of things that I give you, then I will pay you X dollars. That's a unilateral agreement. So you have the individual saying, I'm offered to give you this in exchange for you doing this. Education is a unilateral agreement or obedience. If you follow these certain requirements, you do these certain classes, and you make a certain grade, we will then bestow on you this particular degree or certificate. That's a unilateral agreement. So somebody who has the power to infer or confer something on you is going to tell you what their requirements are. And you either agree to it or not. That doesn't mean it can't be negotiated. It just simply means that they're saying, this is what I want in exchange, I'll give you this. Whereas bilateral is two, is a mutual agreement. Marriage is a, bilater is a bilateral agreement. Although I would argue my wife got the short end of the bargain. She's put up with me for 44 years. But it's a, we, we made vows together. We mutually agreed to come together and we made mutual vows to one another at the altar about marriage. That's a bilateral agreement. So when Isaiah begins to refer to the Lord saying, come and let us reason together, he's actually doing it in almost a legal context. The word reason also means let's debate. So God is saying, I want to debate with you the issue. If you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the best that the land has to offer. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. That's a unilateral statement. Saying, if you do what I say, this is what I'll give you in return. And he's saying that your sins will be washed clean. Even though they're red, they'll be as wool. He'll separate them as far as the east is from the west. That's what the Lord talks about. Now, another example is parenting. Is parenting a bilateral or unilateral? In my house, depending on who you talk to, my dad would say, this is unilateral, buddy. It's my way or the highway. In fact, he was the generation that said, if you don't do what I say, I'll take you out and I'll make another one that looks just like you. And my mother, who I always thought I could negotiate with, would say, now, honey, let's talk about this. So I'm thinking we're about to negotiate. He goes, listen to your father or he'll kill you. If you don't listen to your father, you'll die. So that was her way of, so parenting and knowing that, you know, I have three children. Parenting is a negotiation, but it is a unilateral. If you do the following, you get this. So just to set the stage a little bit, and we get to our first point in the teaching, that obedience is the right thing to do, but it is seldom the easy thing to do. I've experienced that. Obedience is counterintuitive to our nature. So when we talk about obedience, sometimes you get that, oh boy, we got to talk about obedience because obedience is not easy, but it's the right thing to do. In fact, most times it is difficult because it is counter to our very nature. In, in high school, we had to read a book called Aesop's Fable. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. I'm kind of dating myself. But Aesop's Fable was, um, was just a series of short stories and uh, analogies that it would give. And one particular story was the, the scorpion and the frog. 
And it's the simple story of there was a flood coming and it was sweeping through the land and it was about to flood them out. And the scorpion says to the frog, hey, we got to get to the other side or we're not going to survive. And the frog says, yes, I'll see you later because the frog can swim. And the scorpion says, well, why don't you take me with you? I can't swim, so let me get on your back and you take me to the other side. And the frog says, why would I do that? You're a scorpion. You'll sting me and I'll die. And the scorpion says, why, why would I do that? Then both of us die. So the frog goes, okay, hop on. So they get halfway across the river. Sure enough, the scorpion rears up, zaps the frog, and the frog dies. But as he's rolling over and he's about to, to perish, and both of them are about to perish, the frog goes, why? Why would you do that? And the scorpion goes, it's my nature. It's my nature. And so the, the short story was, how do we do something that, is, that, that may be a hard decision to make, but is counter to our nature? That was a lesson in high school, but it was also, I think, important that I look at that I know my nature. I know what I'm capable of. I know what my tendencies are. And the writers of the Bible know what our tendencies are. Every one of them went through what we're going through. The difference is in, in, in Jesus... Because of our nature, that's why he said to, to Nicodemus, who was one of the, the key leaders of Israel in, the, in the John the third chapter, which was led up to the greatest verse that people know about the Bible is John 3.16. But right before that, he's telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so the only way that we can get beyond our nature which is counterintuitive to obedience, is to be born again. And therefore, the second point under this is we should answer the question, why should I obey God? Why should I obey God? I can understand certain regulations and rules. I mean, I know that if I speed, I'm going to get a ticket. Confession? I got one about two months ago. North Carolina. He had to have been Tyler Sane's older brother. <laughs> Tyler's from North Carolina. Excuse me, sir. You're probably wondering why I pulled you over. <laughs> Are you in a hurry somewhere? I said, sir, I just, I wasn't paying attention. And it was like, that's almost worth. Well, I'm going to give you this ticket, but um, you need to slow it down now. We want you to be safe. I never felt better about getting a ticket in all my life. But the rule was, I was speeding, and they gave me a ticket. But sometimes when we hear a rule or regulation, we kind of buck up to it. Because at the end of the day, our nature is that we don't want to obey. And I want to I go through a little bit about what happens when, when we're trying to answer the question, why should I obey God? Without obedience, there is no transformed life. How many want a transformed life, a changed life? Without obedience, you're not getting there. Obedience is required by God because it's, it's the very disobedience that what caused the fall of man to begin with. In the Garden of Eden, there was a direct instruction that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve disobeyed. That caused the fall of man. That's why it was important for Jesus to say to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And in and, and the book of James, you don't have to turn there, but it's very simple. James says, he says this, and I'll read it to you. 
The apostle James in the first chapter, verse 24, he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So if we're not doing what the word of God tells us to do, we become real forgetful. We have short memories. Because by hearing only and not following through with obedience, we forget who we are. And it's that much easier to revert back to the scorpion. Are you hearing me? It's just easier to fall back into that if we're not instilling a cycle of obedience, which the Lord wants us to do. There is no transformed life. In fact, 1 John, the second chapter, 16 and 17, it says that the world, and the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those are the three things that went through Adam and Eve when they created the fall of man in the first place. We just simply inherit that by our nature. That's why the psalmist wrote, in sin did my mother conceive me. So we're all part of the same problem. We're all part of that. The only one who's never been part of that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He was born of a virgin, planted by the seed of God himself. So he is the only one who hasn't been born in iniquity, but we are born in iniquity. That's our nature. He defines freedom as different from lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Because James said, whoever does the will of God will live and abide forever. So when he defines the problem, he says the anecdote is that whoever does the will of God will live and abide forever. That's what it says in the book of James. Obedience is a confession of faith. And it basically says this. God, I will obey you. And the results or the consequences are your problem. Think about that. There has to be a willingness of the heart to where you're able to go before the Lord and say, okay, I hear you, I'll obey you, but the consequences of this, the result of whatever happens is gonna be your issue. Sometimes God has to do things to get through to us in order to get us to obey. Remember when I was first saved, I was um, down in Southeast Texas and I did not want to stay in Southeast Texas. I went down there to visit my brother and I became a Christian. And I wanted to go back to college campus up in Dallas area and you know, convert and preach to the fraternity brothers and the baseball team and you know, be this evangelist. And the Lord was saying, I don't want you to leave. I heard him say that. I know in my spirit, even as a young Christian, I know God was saying, I want you to stay. But I'm committed to go. I get no farther than a mile or two out of the city limits and my transmission falls out of my car. <laughs> I swear. This is a less than a year old car. And my transmission falls out. And I'm going, okay, I think I'm hearing. <laughs> I think I'm hearing that you want me to stay. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, whatever happens then is your issue. I don't want to be here, but I will stay. And it was like, you're not going anywhere. I'll make sure that I want you to stay. And as a result of that is I met my wife. My children were born there. 
I started my marriage. I started my family. I started um, my career. Everything happened there, which I never would have in a thousand years have thought that that would be a possibility. But that's also where God wanted me to train in the word, to get into a small Bible school, to learn what it was to study. And God knows that when he says to do something, he's seeing something that you don't. And so you have to be, there's a willingness that says that if, you, if I follow you, it's up to you. Because in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, and again, I'll read this for you. God is saying, he's saying this to the folks, 55, 55 verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So at some point, you have to grab by faith the trust that what God is saying in the Bible is right. And if he says, I want you to do this, there has to be a willingness to say, okay, I wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been my first thought. That wouldn't have been my first way to go about it. But you say to do it this way, I will, and the results are up to you. Because there has to be a knowing and there has to be even a cry in your heart that says, God, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And this is a unilateral contract. So therefore, you're the one making the offer based on what I do to obey you. Your ways are not my ways. So I have to trust that what you're saying is true. So then the issue becomes in point number two, obedience is a choice that we make after we hear the instruction. Uh-oh. See, God doesn't have a problem getting through to us what the instruction is. And I would venture to say that maybe there's some here today that need a little bit of a spiritual ear cleaning. But for the most part, God says, my sheep know my voice. And you know what the will of God is in a particular incident. You're going to pray. You'll pray through. We pray with you. We pray. We get God's will. But God is saying, what happens? What's the attitude of your heart when you hear the instruction, you can either obey, you hear it and obey, or you simply hear it and not obey. That's your call. Or, and this is the interesting part, I want to spend a little bit of time on this. We put our own interpretation on the instruction. Now this is for people who've been walking with God for a long time. Folks, God is going to set you free today of a false way of sometimes looking at the will of God. It's our nature to try to put a spin on God's instruction. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Now, they had a little help from the deceiver. He said, did God say? No, he didn't mean that. What he meant was that the day you eat of this fruit, that you'll be like him. You'll be like God. They appealed to the very nature of man. And so when, when sometimes we put our own interpretation on something where the Lord is being very clear that this is the way I want you to think about something, this is the way I want you to pray about something, and these are the action steps I want you to take. He'll be very clear about that. We have a tendency to say, okay, well, did God really mean that? Are you sure that that's what God is saying? I have a tendency to want to sometimes put my own interpretation. And I know just even in recently, God has really been speaking to my heart about, Jerry, 
stay in your lane, and I want you to do what I've called you to do. I want you to do what I've told you to do. I want you to think the way I've told you to think. I want you to act what's in here. I want you to pray what's in here. I want you to follow me through here. In your devotions, in your Bible study, in your readings, in your prayers, in your working with people here at the church, this is our instruction manual. There is no other. And there's no other reason to go anywhere else. This is where it's at. And so my interpretation needs to come in line with this. So when I hear the voice of the Lord saying, go this way, walk ye in it, I want to confirm here, and this is usually where you get it, and not sit back and say, okay, well, maybe he didn't really mean that. See, that's the issue with obedience because when you get through into obedience, sometimes, as I said before, it's not, it's not sometimes the easy thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. I know 28 years ago, God was beginning to speak about moving to New York. And I'm telling you, I'm a South boy. I did not want to come to New York. No offense to New York. None whatsoever. But I thought, you know, I've got my life worked out. My children are in Christian school. I'm going to this church. My company wanted to move me, and, and they kept wanting to move me. And so I resigned that company, went to another company to stay in Dallas. And all of a sudden, the company now I'm working for says, we want you to move to New Jersey, Weehawken. I'm going, what? <laughs> and yet we're praying, and we had a sense that, is this the Lord? I'm going, no, that can't be God. Because our kids are in school here. We have a good job. We have our home set up. And this is where God wants us. But yet it's like the Lord was saying, I want you to move. And within one week, my company came to me and said, we want you to take on this role. Um, and, and if you don't, you're fired. I'm going, man, that is cold. I said, but I don't want that bigger job. Well, that's the job we have for you. And so if you don't come up here and take on this particular position, you're terminated. And I'm going, okay, well, I've done that before. I've quit before. So, and then the very next day, I think it was the next day or, the, or two days later, our Christian school that we had our children just shut down. The whole school just closed. And the Lord was going, hello. And here I am today, 28 years later. We moved up here. Praise God. I wouldn't have come to Times Square Church. I wouldn't be here today. But God is saying, there's certain things that I want you to do, and it's the freedom in obeying God that takes out the guesswork. You ever get in a place where you're, you're hearing God and you're, you're wanting to obey, but you're going, oh, do I do this? And the, kind of the mystery of it and the pressure of trying to obey. Folks, when you hear God and you just simply take one step in that direction, the pressure is off. It's not easy, but the pressure is off. The guesswork leaves. Freedom begins to come into your thoughts, into your process in terms of, yes, I want to obey God. I am obeying God. So it's the freedom during obeying, and it's the freedom to obey, and it's the freedom as a result of obeying, all of the above. That's what happens. And so oh, it, it's, it's obedience to your own sense of works or religion masquerades itself as being good. So I'm talking to the Christians. You're in the house of the Lord. Many of you are involved in a ministry. You volunteer for a ministry. 
and you've been given a set of instructions on what to do. I learned this on the mission field where my mission leader, who my first trip, by the way, happened to be my wife. She was my leader on the mission field. And I had a specific instruction that I was supposed to follow. And I was either willing to do it or I wasn't. And so the, the obedience where I say, okay, I'll do this, but then I'll go do a little bit more than that. And she was saying, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked you to do this. Just work in the clothes warehouse. I didn't ask you to complain. <laughs> I asked you to work in the clothes warehouse and do this. Sort clothes so that the refugees coming out of Kosovo could have clothes when they're, when they're in Macedonia. This was back in the, in, the, in the Serbian War. But the instruction was pretty clear. But I had a tendency to want to put my own thoughts on it. Well, okay, I'll do that plus this. Becomes works. Folks, God is not intending us to carry something he hasn't given us to carry. And I mean that for the house of the Lord. Those of you who are in church today, he hasn't given you a burden that you can't carry. And he doesn't want you to carry one that he hasn't given you. Are you hearing me? When he gives a set of instructions or an instruction or a direct order, that's all he expects you to do. If he says, I want you to paint the kitchen and he comes home and nothing's done in the kitchen, but you did a wonderful job in the bedroom. Painted it beautiful. I mean, beautiful. Respackled the walls. You repaired. You got this wonderful color. And God is saying, that's awesome, but I didn't ask you to do that. There was in a, another teaching before where God said, well done, good and faithful servant. That comment only comes as a result of being obedient to what God has given you to do. So those of you who are in the house today, you're carrying something that you don't need to carry. Today, we're going to invite you to get rid of it and just carry what God has given you to carry. There would be such freedom, such freedom. Oh, I believe that. I believe it because I've been, I've been going through it myself. True obedience is just following a specific instruction and not your own additive. Point number three, because of the obedience of Jesus Christ, I can. And this is where I want to spend the, the last minutes of this teaching. Because of his obedience, I can. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans 5, verse 19. Actually, we read 18 and then we'll read 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That was Adam. We're talking about resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That was Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. By one man's obedience, we are made righteous in right standing with God because of what Jesus Christ did, not anything that we have done. Even though we may think that what we're doing is right and honorable, over and above what God has given us to do, there is no righteousness in that. Are you hearing me? There is no strength in that. There's no covering in that. 
But because of what Jesus Christ did, we have the ability to be obedient. Because of what he did, I am now free to obey. Whereas before, I was the scorpion that would even try to manipulate my way into something and wind up doing what only comes natural to me, was striking out. It's the works of the flesh that God wants to, to set us free from and have us enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. The joy of the Lord gives strength. You've heard that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Wonderful. I want to clarify that when, when we talk about it, if you will, you turn to Hebrews 12 too, because I want to, I want to just spend one minute on that. Turn to Hebrews 12 too. The joy of the Lord gives strength. And in Hebrews 12 too, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author and finisher of our faith. He started the conversation in heaven, and he finished the conversation on the cross when he said, it is finished, took that into heaven, and said, now, Father, here is my sacrifice here is the conversation fulfilled that you and I had before the foundation of the world, and therefore now Jerry is able to be free if he comes to me in my name. So Jesus is saying, for the joy, what was the joy? For a long time, I thought, and I, I will continue to think that his joy was me. He was thinking about me. The joy, because it says, I delight to do your will, and John 4, he said, my food is to do the will of God, the will of God that brought strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength, is the joy Jesus had in obeying his father. That's where the joy came from. Because that conversation took place at the foundation of the world. It was the creation of the new covenant. The new covenant that says, I will go and I will take their place in the court of judgment. And I will present the justice. I will present the sacrifice or the, the penalty for their sin. The payment for their sin. I'll present that. And when I do, which is my death on the cross, I'm going to bring it back up into heaven. I'm going to offer it to you as a righteous offering. And you're going to say, case closed. We've debated the issue. Your sins are no longer as scarlet. They will be as wool. You will be clean. And that they will be as far as the east is from the west. The joy of Jesus' heart when he was about to go to the cross was the joy of obeying his father. That to me is freedom. There is joy that comes in that I get to obey. As hard as it may be, and if I hear something that I go, oh God, what does that mean? God will give me not only the strength to do it because the strength comes through the joy of the Lord. I get to depend on his joy. And folks, that will set you free. That's freedom of obedience is the joy of the Lord. His delight is to do as well. That means I get nothing but the utmost satisfaction. As in Psalm 40, it says, I delight to do your will. It's Jesus talking. It was also reiterated in Hebrews. The word delight means I get pure satisfaction 
utmost joy, and I will pay any price to get that satisfaction. That's what delight means. So I delight to do your will. That's a cry of the heart. You and I today, sometimes I have a hard time praying that. I delight to do your will. You want me to do this? Maybe the right thing to do, as I said, but seldom is it the easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And when that occurs, freedom comes. His obedience set us free from religious works and the mental gymnastics of trying to figure it out. My brothers and sisters, we don't have to figure this out. And in trying, puts pressure on us. In trying, puts a burden on us. He's already done that for us. This is already figured out. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus offered himself to God. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to fill us full of the Holy Spirit. We have him living in us today. So as I begin to close, I want to be able to say that God is saying, I will set you free from these mental gymnastics and the, and the religious works. And religious works are just simply things that we think we have to do to please God. We don't have to do anything to please God except obey what God told us to do. Are you with me? You don't have to do anything to try to win righteousness or right standing with God. You're not justified by works. Paul said we're justified because of what Christ did. And justified means just as if I never sinned. So we have an opportunity to be free from all that. In fact, in Isaiah, and I'll read this to you just a little bit. When I opened up the very first um, scripture, what had happened before Isaiah said, come now and let us reason together. God was talking. And I'll just read this for you. I'll pick out a few he says, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? He's talking about, why do you bring these sacrifices in that I didn't ask you to bring? Why are you doing something I didn't ask you to do? I just want you to be obedient. Because that's what he said in 18. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best. If not, you'll be devoured. It's pretty clear. But what led up to that is, why do you appear before me? Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling from an assembly. I didn't endure, I cannot endure iniquity, and I didn't call for this meeting. I didn't ask you to come in. The only thing you're doing is trampling my courts. The only noise is being made is you coming into the temple doing this. Now, he was referring to what was happening in the temple in Isaiah's day. But God is telling us in the church today, there are things that you may be doing that you think are right, you think are honorable, they even feel right, but I haven't called you to do it. Are you with me? And God is saying, I want to set you free. I want to set you free from that. You don't have to do that. Our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And instead of he said, here's what I want you to do. So here's the, here's the obedience, here's the lesson. He says in verse 17, learn to do good. That's being learned out of here. We're going to learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. Pray over one another. Pray with one another. Stand with one another. Prefer one another. Love one another. Oh, God. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. So that's what he's saying I want you to do. Not this other 
So when he says that, he comes right in to come now and let us reason together. Let's debate this issue, Jerry, to make sure that we're doing this right. And finally, if you stay in your lane, God promises to deal with the issues in your life, which is the freedom of an abundant life. If you stay in your lane, your lane can be defined as this is what God has given me to do, and I commit to prayer that I want to do that, nothing more and nothing less. Anything other than that, it becomes a negotiation. Okay, God, I'll paint the kitchen. I'll paint it the color you want me to paint it. I'll only paint. I won't spackle. I just want to do what you tell me to do. And if I want to do anything above and beyond that, can we talk? And of course, the Lord says, come and let us reason together. Just do this first. And I believe here today that there are some in the house that simply want to go back to your first love and just simply do it right. Will you stand? Praise God. Oh, the devil is defeated. I tell you what, when you put things like this into the light, into the open, you shed light on it, it has nowhere to go. When light comes on, it has nowhere to go, right? What does darkness have to do? You're out of here. Darkness has to flee. There's no windows in this sanctuary. If we turned off all the lights in this sanctuary, it would be dark, right? But what happens when the lights come on? What does darkness do? It dispels. It has to go. That's why Paul said use, use light as a weapon of righteousness. Bring things into the light. So when we, when we just simply talk about the word of God and we talk about what the Lord is doing, God is able to set free. When you obey, there's peace. There's truly the spirit of God that lives within you and he imparts that peace. He will impart it. So here's what I just simply like you to consider. If you need your ears cleaned out, we want to pray with you. And there's no shame in that. I don't know how many times I've been at this altar saying, God, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice once again. New mercies in the morning. Let me hear it. And I want to invite those who just simply want to hear God's voice again. Maybe you just need clarity of what God is telling you to do. Maybe you need God to be able to remove obstacles. You're hearing this, you say, I want to obey. I want the freedom of obedience. But because of maybe prior decisions, there's now obstacles in your life and you want those removed. We're going to set free today. We're going to get those off of you today in the name of Jesus. And there are those of you who just say, Lord, I want to keep obeying. There are many in the house that are faithful. You've been dependable. God knows that. And your prayer is, I want now the strength that comes from the joy that you have with obedience. You need to, I want you to impart that into my life. Will you come? That's any of you, just come and pray. And we're going to pray over you. We're going to pray with you. And we're going to believe God for freedom. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Yes, he formed you out of the clay. God, he loves you. Absolutely wants to set you free. To open your ears. To give you that sense in your heart that today, I just want to obey God. I don't care what the reasonings are. I don't care what my mind says. I don't care what my circumstances say. God changed my circumstance. 
Let me obey. Let me know the freedom that comes with that. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who've come forward today. Lord, we're asking in the name of Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, because of who you are, we're asking, Lord, to, to speak to my brothers and sisters. Lord, to let them hear your voice. Let them hear new mercies in the morning. Let them know clear instruction. Let them know, Lord, the, the discernment in a particular situation now that they may be faced. Oh God, let them hear the voice of the Lord because God, as your word says, if we obey, you will act. So Lord, we're asking now in the name of Jesus and folks, just begin to pray. Just say, God, help me, help me. Open my ears, open my eyes to see. Give me, the, give me a, 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 just a, a burst of faith in my heart to believe that what you said is true. That if I obey you, my life is in your hands. God, do this now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, everyone that's come forward, those of you who are still in the sanctuary, just let God come to you right now. Let God speak to you. Let God just confirm in your heart that he loves you and that he has you. Oh, Jesus, right now, in the name of Jesus, let the joy of the Lord, your joy, your joy, your joy, come alive in my brothers and sisters now. Lord, let it burst forth in the name of Jesus. Let it burst forth, God, in the name of Jesus. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour out the Spirit of God. Speak to them, Lord. Speak now in Jesus' name that they'll know your voice. They'll know the joy of the Lord. They'll know the freedom of God. Lord, those that are some at the altar today just simply want to say, God, forgive me. Give, forgive me for whatever's in my life. Forgive me now in Jesus' name. Folks, you are cleansed. You are free. You are free. You are free. God is wanting you to be free. Free to obey. Free to walk with him. Free to stand with one another and carry one another's burdens. Not this other stuff, but carry one another. Walk with one another. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, again, pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Give power of the Holy Spirit to not only be witnesses, but to live a life, God, that you've called each one of them to do. Let this be a defining moment today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.